Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Well, hi, Vanguard. I should introduce myself to you. My name is Kelly. It is good to meet you. If you've never been to Vanguard when I've spoken, I've been gone for a few weeks, and it's good to be back. And thank you so much. And I want to give a huge, huge shout out. You got to stand, Candace. Sorry. Everybody make her stand. Come on. Let's give Candace a hand. No, don't sit down, Candace. Don't sit down so quick, girl. Do you know what this girl has done? For 10 summers in a row now, she has led as a volunteer our teaching team ministry, and it has been amazing, Candace. Would you put your hands together and thank her for 10 years of service? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you to the teaching team uh, for serving uh, in the summer months and doing the heavy lifting. I'm so grateful uh, for our team. When I go on break, it is really important to me, Deb, uh, a lot of people, you know, when you go on vacation, Dwayne, first thing people think is entertainment. Mm-mm, not me. You go, what, what do you think? I think donuts. <laughs> and sleep. And beach. Like rest. It is a commodity that very few in our society seem to engage anymore. And that is the importance of making sure that you rest. And I want you to know that some of the hardest work we'll ever do in this life is to learn how to rest, to learn how to unhook, because in life, I've learned a few things. I've learned that God never stops working. I've learned that the devil never stops working. And I've learned that I am not them. Amen? And so to take a break and to rest, you have to what? Be able to trust the working of God is greater than the working of the enemy. And see, what rest does for me every time, John, what rest does for me every time is that it shows me I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. I'm not sovereign. It's not up to me. And at the end of the day, it won't be make or break based off of me. It'll be make or break off of my trust in the God of the universe. Now, during break, I love to read lots of good books. I love to get my hands on lots of good books. And I want to introduce you to one that I am currently still reading. And I rarely do this. I rarely recommend a book to you that I'm not done with yet. 
But I want to show you this book. It's called Your One Life. And it's by a guy named Lance Witt that now lives in Castle Rock. And the subtitle is Own It, Live It, Love It. You say, what have you learned from him? Well, the first thing that I've learned, Steve, is that there is such a thing called grandkid camp. Huh? And I'm starting to move from that adolescent dad, uh, kids with, I mean, dad with adolescents, I'll get it right, to adult kids to, you know, somewhere down the line, potentially grandkids. And to read this book and to see what Lance talked about as far as investing, not in just in the generation that follows you, but now far reaching into the two generations that follow you. And one thing that he says that I really appreciated, he said, soul care, your soul, your soul care is solely up to you. And if you do not take care of your soul, Nobody else will. And see, we all take care of our bodies, right? That is, we worry. We think that's taking care of things. We worry about all the stuff around us that we can't do anything about. And Lance talks about, why don't you focus on the one thing that you're in control of? And it's soul care. And it's paying attention to the inner story of your life and beginning to understand that God is talking to you through that story. And what Lance says that I completely agree with, if you do not be you, you ready? Nobody ever will be. There has never been a you in history. And there will never be another you in the future. You are unique. Your story is unique. And Romans chapter 12 says that we are to study God's word so that we can understand that perfect will. Do you know what that means? Let me, let me give you a different word. So that we can understand how to fulfill that specific will that God has for our lives. Now, we all have a general will of bringing glory to God, right? But don't think that God just created you generally like he did everybody else. God does not create two human beings exactly the same. Every one of us are unique. Every one of us in our own right is an unusual suspect. And if you say to yourself, I feel alone as me, do you want to know why? Because you are. Because there's nobody else like you. And there's not another human being that you can go to and say, let me show you the blueprint of the story of my life. And people are going to look at you and go, mm, I don't know. I mean, mm, mm. But the moment you go to God, God goes, yeah, 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 I know. How do you know? Because that's who I made you to be. And see, this journey is about 
learning to be comfortable in the skin God gave you and the story that God gave you, the good, the bad, and everything in between. I'm also reading a book by a rabbish, uh, uh, a Jewish, I almost called him a Jewish rabbit, a, a Jewish rabbi. And I had to get to page 112 before I could write on the page, Candace, I agreed with something. Because his view is, you know, Job was a fable. He wasn't a real person. Genesis 1 to 3 is not a real story. It's just a great idea. And, and then he says to himself on page 112, I'm a man of faith. And I wanted to say to him, John, faith in what? Faith in what? What do you have faith in? And he, uh, the story is about how he had a son that was born and he had a chromosome uh, of dysfunction. And he was born with a birth defect and he died at age 14. And he's had to make sense of the pain and the suffering of his life. And he's trying to reconcile that uh, to scripture that he doesn't really believe in, it seems like. I don't really get the point. And today we're going to meet an unusual suspect. And she is going to be called, I named her, the first female evangelist of the Bible. Now, some people have given this to Mary Magdalene, but you got to back up in the pericope and the story and the gospels and see before Mary Magdalene, there was this woman. And she said this, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And of course, my response would be, I don't think so. I mean, imagine that. Go out this week and go, no, no, you got to come to church. Come meet a God who's going to tell you everything you ever did. It's like, no, 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 no. I go to church so I can learn how to hide my shame. I don't go to church to learn how to broadcast it. And this woman says, no, 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 come meet a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? We're going to see the first evangelist in the New Testament was a woman that Jesus met at the well. By the way, I've been to this well. They built a church around this well. I always get confused if it's Gaza Strip or West Bank. I can't remember which it is, but it's one of those areas where when you go in, there's no English speaking, and it's a very interesting experience. And you go into this church that nobody goes to, by the way. It's the only Protestant church in this Palestinian-controlled region that Jews are not allowed into. And at this little hole in the ground, you look at it and you go, that's it? That's Jacob's well? That was dug 5,000 years ago. And you ready for this? Still works. It still works. And they said, would you like a drink? I go, no, you know, I think I'm going to pass. I'm a risk-taking fool, except when it comes to food, all right? Learned the hard way on that one. But it still works. This very well that we're going to see Jesus sit down with this woman at. 
It still exists today. It's still a real physical place that you can go to and see. Nobody would deny it, whether you believe in Jesus, whether you don't. Nobody denies that this is the well that Jacob dug 5,000 years ago. Wow. And Jesus sat down with this woman. And she said to him, hmm, I got a question for you. He's like, yeah. Why are you talking to me? I'm a woman. You're a man. Why are you talking to me? See, what she was saying was, did you get late to the party? Did you not know that women are second-class citizens, that men don't have to talk to, that that we're, we're just here, but that we ain't? We ain't all that. And see, all the major religions of the world tend to be suppressive of females, including Judaism. But Christianity is supposed to be different. Why? Because Jesus came physically, God in the flesh, to show us what relationships were supposed to look like. And so he sat down with this woman and he began to talk to her. And she said, he started telling her things about herself and she's like, whoa. And she gets up and she runs back. She says, come meet a man and tell me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? I want you to think about this statement. You can see it in your program. The transformation of the gospel begins at the point of full disclosure. Do you wonder why your faith is not making a difference in your life? It will be to the extent that you're hiding your sin from your own self. What is it about your life that you don't talk to God about because you're ashamed of it? Do you think he doesn't already know it? Come meet a man that told me everything I ever did. He knows everything there is to know about us. You ready for this? He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. There are things about you that you don't know about you yet that God is going to reveal to you through the story, through the pericope, through the uniqueness, through the giftings, through the experiences, through the relationships of your life. You think you're an expert on you. You're not. God is. And when you spend time with God, strangely enough, not only do you get to know God, you get to know who God made you to be. And that's why it's so important to spend time with God. Just like that's why it's so important to take a break and spend time with your family. Why? Because it's your family that knows you. It's your close friends that know you. And when you spend time with people that know you, they speak sometimes things in your life you don't want to hear. Hopefully, they speak things in your life that you do want to hear. Hopefully, there's positive, there's negatives, and all of the above. And yes, Jesus spoke to this woman and told her everything about her life. Look at John 4, 27. Just then, his disciples came back. Uh Uh-oh, look at this. They were shocked. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. 
Can't you just see this? You know, sons of Zebedee get out their cell phone, start. You're not going to believe this. Jesus is talking to a woman. Send. Post. <gasps> Here's a picture. Scandalous. Oh, what are we going to do? We, we thought about that he was the Messiah, but he's really painting outside the lines here. And he's talking to this woman, and not only is he talking to this woman, I don't know if he knows what kind of woman this is. He didn't just pick any woman. He picked the town you know. Now, why do you think Jesus picked her? I'm going to answer this question. Why did Jesus pick the woman at the well? You ready? I have no idea. It doesn't say. The Bible never says. The Bible never tells us, but here's what I do know. He picked her. He picked her. I do know that. And I can extrapolate from that a lot about God because of the choices that God makes in this world. You ready? He picked you too. You go, why? Don't know. I just know he did. I just know he did. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? God doesn't explain to us why he does a lot of what he does, but he does let us see what he does. And he wants us to observe his model. Now, lest you be offended at the disciples, this was culture. None of them had the nerve to ask the disciples, said, what do, you, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? Do you understand that this one conversation that Jesus had with this woman, you ready? This one conversation that Jesus had with this woman, it changed the trajectory of the rest of her life. Do you understand that if you'll go out and have conversations with people about Jesus, it has the potential of changing people's lives forever. The same potential that was in the story with Jesus and the woman at the well is in you as well if you share him with others. Wow. If you were starting a church today, and you could only pick one person to start it with. What kind of person would you pick? Would you pick a woman like this? I remember September 1996. Danae, I had not yet met you or Cutter yet. It would be a few more months, about six or eight more months before I would meet Cutter and Danae, who were teenagers at Chapel Hills Baptist Church, part of the youth group, and ended up being a part of Vanguard. But I remember in September of 1996 moving here, and we moved to Lexington and Research into a 
two-bedroom apartment. The second bedroom was our office for the church. The first bedroom, obviously, was our bedroom. And I remember being in that second bedroom, and I remember praying this prayer, Lord, send people. You know, here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the door, and there's the people, right? We didn't have any people. We knew one person, Melanie Baroth, Melanie Dobson now, still a dear friend of our family. And we needed more people. Lord, send people. And while I was praying this, this is not, uh, this is not uh, made up or fabricated or embellished at all. While I was praying this, I was also studying my Greek New Testament. And I was studying the book of Timothy, and I was trying to decipher what the role of women should be at Vanguard for decades to come in both the areas of teaching and pastoring. And I was wrestling hard with that issue. And also praying, Lord, send people. All of a sudden, the doorbell rings. I'm like, it's a long flight of stairs. Who, I, I don't know anybody. Why is somebody ringing my doorbell and bothering me while I'm trying to pray? So I go downstairs, open the door. The person says, hey, I'm here to fix your leaky pipes. It was a brand new apartment. Come on, who has leaky pipes in a brand new apartment? So the person comes upstairs, starts working. I go back in my office and I was really frustrated, irritated. And, and maybe even more so than I should have been. And I go, Lord, send people. I hadn't made the connection yet. Wasn't there. And then I continued to work on, I was studying this passage in Timothy and all of a sudden the person comes out, sticks their head in my office and says, hey, leaky pipe's fixed. I said, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Didn't get it. I mean, I didn't get it. And the person said, hey, you new to Colorado Springs? Yeah. Well, why'd you move here? Ah, my first victim. I said, we came here to start a church named Vanger Church, and we're going to have this thing called X Group. We'd love for you to be a part of it, and we're going to ask spiritual questions. You can ask anything you want, and we would love for you to come and be, you know, I'm just talking like crazy because now all of a sudden I'm excited because now I get it. And the person says, huh. Well, you know, my mom just died of cancer. And this was 1996, and my mom had just been killed four years prior to that. And so I was in a four-year journey that I'm now 31 years into. And I, man, it gripped me. And we started to make a heart connection. And then the person said, hey, do you mind if I bring my girlfriend? I go, are you kidding? We have just doubled as a church right here. <laughs> this is amazing. I prayed, boom. Wow, we've doubled person leaves. Tasha comes out. She says, who was that? I said, that was Leo. He's going to bring his girlfriend. He's going to be a part of our Bible study. She said, honey, that's a, that was a woman. And I'm like, what? I mean, do you remember this moment, honey? I'm like, what? I'm like, come on. I know the difference between a man and a woman. That was a man. She's like, that was a woman. Turns out she was right again, right? 
And then fear gripped me. Oh, my goodness. I have invited a woman and her lesbian lover to start this church. We're screwed. (laughs) I have screwed this whole thing up. Like, this is going to be a disaster. I mean, I grew up on a dairy farm in Kentucky. I don't know anything about lesbian lovers. I, this is over. I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, I was scared to death. I had never been around a lesbian couple, and I certainly did not anticipate that this church would be started with a lesbian couple. And so I began to think to myself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I want you to look at this passage, Acts chapter 12, verse 5. While Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him to get out of prison. Well, yes, thank you, Lord. So I was up there in my office. I was praying very earnestly. Not that someone would get out of prison, but that God would bring somebody so we could start this church. Look at verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was, somebody say, he was what? Huh. You usually get a good night's sleep the night before you're placed on trial? You do if you know how to rest and trust the Father. Amen? I had somebody tell me, Christian, he didn't know anybody in their 50s that actually gets a good night's sleep. That's, that's Christian. It's really sad. It's really sad. See, the older we get, the more there's to worry about. You say, how come? Because you realize you were naive to a lot of things when you were younger. And you'll do a lot of stupid stuff when you're young (laughs) that you won't do when you get older because it was really painful when you did it earlier. Pain's a teacher, right? Listen to this. He was chained between two soldiers with others standing guard at the prison gate. Not only was he on trial the next day, but he's got people watching him. Oh, my goodness. You ever tried to sleep? when other people were watching you? This dude had the peace of God all over him because he trusted in the sovereign hand, you ready, of God's purpose for his life. And when you trust in the sovereign hand of God's purpose for your life, you can rest knowing God's got the details. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. And Peter knew that. Look at verse 7. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell. (laughs) It's like the first invention of the nightlight. And an angel of the Lord stood before Peter, and the angel tapped him on the side to awaken him. And I'm sure this is just commonplace for all of us, right? Quick, get up. Chains fell off his wrist, and the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals. See, I love this. I mean, how do you feel when you first get up in the morning? I don't even know my name. Those first few thoughts are some of the most bizarre thoughts in the course of a day, right? And the Lord understands that. And when the Lord wakes you up, guess what? He'll tell you, get up, put your clothes on, get your shoes on. You know, he's he's a good daddy. Now put on your coat. You know, I'm going to have you go outside. It's going to be a little chilly. Put on your coat. And then I love this, follow me. And so Peter left the cell following the angel. Look at verse 12. He went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark. I want to pause there just a second. Why did Peter 
in the, the establishment of the early church, why did Peter, when he got out of prison, why did he go to Mary's house, John Mark's mother? Anybody want to guess? Because Mary, Mary's house was where the first church was established. I've been to that house. It's in the old city. And it looks very different than it did back in the first century. But there is still a place where you can go and you can actually worship, which is an incredible moment. And you can see Mary's house, John Mark's mother. The first church was established in the home of a what? A woman. A woman. Now, There were many gathered for prayer, and he knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She didn't make too much of it, right? She didn't try to complicate. Instead of opening the door, though, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. I love their response. They're having a prayer service at the first church ever established in the name of Jesus. And she goes back and says, guys, I got good news. God's answered our prayer. Peter's at the door. And everybody's like, nah, you're crazy. It's like my dad used to say, you know, let's come Wednesday night and let's pray for rain. And by the way, don't forget your umbrellas. That's what faith is. The anticipation that what you pray for, God's gonna do. And you know as well as I do, because I'll say this, I go, well, I prayed. Well, why'd you pray? Well, there was nothing else left to do. Prayer becomes the last resort oftentimes in our lives instead of the first resort. Because deep down, if I'm honest, Lord, send people. Doorbell rings. Nah, it couldn't be God. Couldn't be God. Now, God didn't do that. Yeah, he does. God answers prayer. Yeah, but he didn't answer this one. He didn't answer it the way you wanted. God answers prayer. You send God a text message, you're going to get a response. He's going to answer. The Bible says, if you lack, ask. If you lack, ask. So look what happens. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Now, I love this. We would rather believe in a miracle than believe God can answer prayer. No, it's Peter. Oh, no, it couldn't be. You know, we don't mind believing in miracles. There's probably an angel at the door, and that's normal. Just welcome him on in, too. He can be a part of it. But no, there's no way God could actually answer the prayer we've just prayed. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. They might have gonna let me in. It was harder to get in this house than it is to get out of jail. <laughs> when they finally went out and opened the door, look, they were amazed. Oh my goodness. I'm glad I'm not the only one who struggles to believe in prayer. I was thick headed. Do you know what happened? Lillian brought her lesbian lover, Jennifer. And Lillian became the first convert of Vanguard. Jennifer gave her life to Christ. And about eight or nine months later, Lillian went and stood on a stage in the 
at the Southern Baptist Convention in Fort Worth, Texas. And one of my heroes of the faith, I grew up Southern Baptist, one of the heroes of the faith, Adrian Rogers, was giving the message that night. And, I mean, he's a big deal in the Southern Baptist Convention, Memphis, Tennessee. And right before Adrian preached, guess who preached? The first evangelist of Vanguard. And she's a woman. God did it again. God did it again. God did through this church what he did in John chapter 4. He came and he found a woman that no one else would pick. And he picked her and he sent her to us. That's who this church is. That's our history. That's our rich history. That's who God has called us to be. And she shared her faith with over 30,000 Southern Baptist messengers from all over the world. It's amazing. It's amazing to experience it. Jesus did it again. Now listen to these words again with the woman at the well. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That was a positive to her. Could this be the Messiah? She knew that no one would believe her. She couldn't say, this is the Messiah. She had to form it in the form of a question, which I think was wise on her part. Because the moment you try to put pressure on people, people love to hold up to you how terrible of a person you are. And so it's really good that she worded it the way she did. It ain't about her. It ain't about us. It's about him. It's about him. So the people came live streaming. They came streaming from the village to see him. And look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. Why? Because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. See, if you'll go out and stop hiding the shame of your story, people's lives will be changed forever because you let them see the uniqueness of how God has changed yours. Amen? Come on, amen? Let's try one more time. We're not sure. Amen? Well, I don't, I'm, I'm ashamed of that part of my story. Listen. If you have things in your life that you're ashamed of in your past, it's because you don't understand forgiveness. Because Jesus wants you to go tell everybody, he forgave me. Come meet a man that told me everything I ever did. He forgave me. Could this be the Messiah? And the answer is yes, he is. And yes, he did. And yes, he will. You don't, and this is, real, this is what makes me sad about church. And this, I'll just be honest, this is what I hate about church. And there are a few things I hate about it, but I hate this about church. Church tends to become a place where we learn how to harbor our shame and manage it so that we can look like we're better than we actually are. So that we can somehow feel like we fit in. God doesn't want us to fit in. He wants us to stand out. He wants our stories to be like the woman at the well. 
He wants people to go, what is God doing? Talking to him, talking to her. And we're so afraid to tell our stories because we're so afraid of how bad it's going to make us look. No, no, you don't understand. No, the moment you start telling your story, the shame goes away. And that's where salvation takes over. Not only in your life, but in other people's lives. So from shame to sharing the gospel. Now, the established church that we're a part of, the Southern Baptist Convention, when I was in seminary, most of the Southern Baptist seminaries were debating on whether they believed the Bible was true. I'm from Kentucky. Uh, Southern Seminary was trying to decide, do we really believe the Bible's true or not? And I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to pay someone for a degree to tell me that the Bible's not true so I could go tell people, you don't need to have any hope because it's not true anyway. What's the point? I wanted to go somewhere that actually believed the Bible. And so I went to Dallas Theological Seminary and I got my degree there and I studied every verse of the Bible, Hebrew, Greek. And in this process, over these 27 years, about 13 years ago, we solidified as a church that women are going to be pastors and teachers in our church. This shouldn't be a shock to anybody. This has been true for 13 years. But because of the political nature and now the front row nature of what's happening with our denomination. Now you say, are we going to leave the denomination? No, but it may leave us. I don't know yet. But I will tell you this. I've done all I can do publicly to exegetically lay out my understanding of the original language of how we are where we are as a church based on Scripture. And in the process... I've yet to have anyone that's pushed back at an exegetical level. There's been people that have been snarky and, and have said things, and that's fine. When you step out in the public, don't expect people to treat you fairly. And if you do, then stay home, okay? Because it ain't going to happen. But as I step into this arena, I'm waiting for an intellectual, theological, exegetical, biblical, Hebrew and Greek discussion about this issue. See, the word pastor is a made-up word. It's not in the Bible, okay? When you go look at the word elder, which I am, I'm one of the seven elders of our church. When you go look at the Bible, elder, the Greek word is presbytized, which means presbytery, elder. And now we tack on the word pastor because... Now, I think we should add the word senior pastor if we want to do it. Then that's a different discussion. But our denomination has decided that the word pastor is synonymous with elder, which is synonymous with presbytery, which is synonymous with elder board, which I find interesting. When we started Vanguard, I got tarred and feathered for having an elder board because that's not of God. You should have congregational rule churches. So some of you have asked me, do you believe that the SBC has been wrong all this time? And my answer is yes. Yes, I do. Do you believe everybody's wrong? No, I don't believe everybody's wrong. I believe that the Bible clearly delineates 
between offices and giftings. And teaching is a gift. It is a gift that God has given to both male and female. I do believe that there is creation order. I do believe that there's spiritual headship in the home and in the church. I do believe that the church and the home should run differently than the rest of the universe. You say, how come? Because we're trying to set an example for the gospel. It's not about value. It's not about abilities. It is about creation order. And I'm throwing a lot at you right now. I understand that. But here's where I know the SBC is nervous. Because every major denomination that has ordained women have eventually ordained homosexuals and bisexuals and lesbians and so forth and so on. Now I'm going to say something. And I waited till Pastor Aaron was in here to say it the first time. But I'm going to say it now. Being black, you ready? Here we go. Being black has never been a sin. Amen? Being a woman has never been a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Please, for the love of God, do not lump women and this issue together. God created women. God created black people. Please do not put homosexuality in this discussion. It does not fit. Homosexuality has always been a sin and it'll always be a sin. Okay? Being a woman is not a sin. It's not secondary. Being black is not a sin. It is not secondary. Please do not put these three things together. Please do not let our society cause the church to make a massive mistake. Has the SBC been wrong? Do you know how we came into existence in 1850? We did not agree with the Northern Baptists. We wanted to keep our slaves. So that's what we did. We broke away from the Northern Baptists. We became Southern Baptists in Atlanta, Georgia, where my brother's from, and we kept our slaves. We white people, we kept our slaves. Let's get this one right. Let's get this one right. Let's don't be on the wrong side of the aisle again as God is at work in his church. You say, yeah, but all those denominations that, that ordained women, they're now ordaining homosexuals. You mean like the Wesleyan church that Pastor John Ellsbury's from? Please, please, listen. We're gonna go to the convention in June of next year. We're gonna have a presence. We're gonna speak our mind. We're gonna stand for truth and we're gonna continue to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Continue to reach the lost. Continue to plant churches. And Bill Lighty has already told me, regardless of what the national convention has decided, the state and local will remain with us. Amen? So we're going to continue to be who God has created us to be. You say, who is that? A vanguard. A vanguard. And you're not a bad person if you don't agree. You say, what am I? You're just wrong. You say, you really believe that? Yes, I do. I do. 
I want somebody to bring the word. I don't want to hear about tradition. I don't want to hear about opinions. I don't want to hear about what makes you feel uncomfortable. I don't want to, I don't want to hear about the awkward moments of church life. I want to hear what God's word has to say. And if you can, from God's word, show me a different way. I may not agree with you, but I will respect you for that. God's word has to inform everything we do in this church. It has from day one, and it will as long as I'm the leader of it. God's word leads us. Ain't about us. Ain't about our opinions. Listen to me. We're in a moment. We're in a moment. In our society, we're in a moment. Do you know that there's more divorcees over the age of 50 after COVID than in the history of our existence as a country? We're in a moment. People would rather be alone than learn how to get along. We're in a moment. We're in a moment. Listen, may God give us the grace to be faithful to his word, to be true to his word. And if you When you go to Scripture, if you genuinely and sincerely see it differently, that's fine. That's fine. We have a lot of differences in our society, okay? But make sure that you don't pick a church, a denomination, based off of how it makes you feel. Make sure you pick it based off of what you believe God's Word teaches. And I can assure you, There is nothing I take more seriously than God's word, than God's word. It informs everything we do. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.